1: From the South Coast tonight, I'm Marcus. Chris uh, will not be joining us tonight. He'll be back on Friday. But we're joined by New Bedford Mayor John Mitchell. Hey, Mayor Mitchell, How are great
2: you? to be back. Yeah. It's Great to be back. Yeah, it's been—I uh, been, don't know—about a month. I think I was in here last. Yes, year.
1: yeah, it was. It was about a month ago. Um, since then, uh, there's been an election. You've been to the UK and. Uh, there's an open city council seat, so let's talk about some of that. Yeah. Uh, how was your trip uh, to the UK um, pitching uh, offshore wind?
2: Yeah, you know it was a long ride for a relatively short stay, but I think it was it was worth it. Um, so I was invited to speak at what's called the Nor- uh, the offshore wind northeast conference, which is an annual conference and. The area that's generally known as the northeast of, of England, which is centered by Newcastle. That's the biggest city. So people might remember Newcastle from the beer, or because that's where right. you know all the coal is from, right? So, um, so the 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 conference itself. So we're there for four days. The conference was two days, and we spent the other time doing a port tour and then meeting with companies. So all in all, I think it was my. My biggest takeaway is that we in New Bedford are, you know, on the right track with offshore wind. We're doing all the, the right things. I learned some stuff along the way, too, because it's been a while since we had gone over and looked at any of those ports or talked to those companies prepend had been since the pandemic. We hadn't been over there since the pandemic. But... Um, the conference itself is uh, one of the largest in Europe of its type for the, for the industry, about 900 people. And it turns out that I was the only American who was invited to speak, so it gave me the opportunity to make an unrebutted argument that New yeah. Bedford's the best place to invest. So I, uh, you know, did my did my sales pitch about you know not only how uh, great a place New Bedford is to live, but also how uh, well set up it is for. Well, every type of maritime business, including offshore wind, so uh, I think that I think that went well. We got a lot of attention that way, and frankly, you didn't hear any kind of dis- any discussion of any other American port uh, other than New Bedford. So, that's great. so that's that's all encouraging, and then we'll continue to follow up uh, well, why, as it goes why, along.
1: Why was that? That you were the only um, American invited to the conference.
2: Jeez, I should take offense at that question. <laughs> like, why you? You no, that's not. You, no, no, no. People? I'm just saying like, it's. it's a, hey, there's 330 million Americans, and he picked you. It's, it's a growing
1: industry. Uh, it's a growing industry. Uh, New Bedford was the only city invited. Uh, I thought it would be an, an opportunity for you to pat yourself on the back. Actually.
2: Um. Well. Th- yeah. Thank. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I missed your. Thank you, Marcus. Uh, no, I mean we've been working it pretty hard for many years um, because we've recognized that you know as an older industrial city you got to really hustle for uh, opportunities to attract investment and it's been you know we've been at this we've been at this for a while with offshore wind and sure. people have been waiting for it and. You know, we are, we've are we kept our eye on the ball. And I think what people will start to see next year with the development of the Vineyard Wind Project and the arrival of components and all that stuff on the waterfront, they'll say, yeah, okay, well, this is what, what he's been talking about all, all the time. It's a big industry in Europe. There are over 6,000 turbines turning in the North Sea, right, 6,000. There are a total of seven in U.S. waters, right? So all that is coming over um, and starting next year with the Vineyard Wind project, there are 17 active projects uh, on the east coast of the U.S. right now, and they're they're moving ahead. So, but there is a, with, with all of it moving over, with all of it developing here, there's a whole lot of investment and therefore jobs up for grabs. We've known this for a while, and that's why we've been relentless in promoting New Bedford. So, there is, it's not an accident that when they talk about the U.S. at the east, conferences they talk about New Bedford before they talk about any other place we've been we we've, we've been working really hard to make that happen
1: I, so, I think that's an important thing to note when we talked a little bit about it off air because there's this whole commonwealth wind snag where they're trying to renegotiate some parts of their of their uh, purchase power agreement with the department of public utilities but vineyard wind over here in new bedford they're moving forward right
2: the first project yep
1: and we're going to we're going to start seeing the turbines pretty soon right you know,
2: a- april is when they're projected so they're already putting the cable down now okay i can't see that because it's obviously it's out at sea but the cable's already going down
1: that's great so we're speaking with new bedford mayor john mitchell um so i know it's it's something that's been talked about for a while and we've covered it but i think it's good to also when we're talking about this explain some of the uh you talked about the jobs and all of that what's the what's the public good that offshore wind brings to um the communities
2: yeah so if you if you're a place that hosts if you're a port in particular that hosts offshore wind or any other maritime business, a place where they tie up boats, where they do their work on, on the shoreline, uh, you're going to be a place that employs more people, that will that will have employment opportunities for people that want them. And we know that good jobs lead to better lives, right? And that's so, whereas a place that has had chronically high unemployment for many, many years, it's gotten better in the last few years. But look, we're a city that's, you know, that like many other uh, cities that are not part of major metros in the U.S. You know, we've we've had to work harder to get uh, to get ahead, and so what this this is just an unusual situation in which you have, you know, in our case, an older industrial city that's not again not part of another you know big metro area that is getting an opportunity for a significant infusion of investment, and, yeah. um, and that will pave the way for for, for jobs and for. Uh, not just you know ep- episodically, and not just jobs that were where um, that are low paying, um, but jobs that are good and jobs that will be sustained because these wind farms will go on for decades. And so that's that's really the the key. I I think. And so there are lots of other places along the East Coast that are vying for for that investment. And so our approach is multifold. Right? It's we want to build you know, good infrastructure, and we've done that. And there's there's a ton of infrastructure that has been built in the last few years that we've been able to marshal through a variety of public and, and private sources, right? So you've got to have the infrastructure available. Um, and, and then when that's in place, you've got to have the workforce. And so one of the big selling points for New Bedford is not only our existing uh, institutions and not only our existing seafaring workforce, but all of which are really strong, but also the new institution that we'll have on the, on the waterfront, which is the National Offshore Wind Institute, the yeah. Bristol Community Colleges uh, <coughs> Institute that they're building right on, on Herman Millville Boulevard, which right. will be the first training center for offshore wind in, uh, in the US. And we all, So that's, that's the second facet. The third facet is, uh, is innovation, right? All of these companies have a lot of dough, and they're look, always looking to increase their profits by, among other things. Uh, lowering their costs and so if they can use technology in the way of sensors or artificial intelligence or just better boats um, they will they'll they'll make those investments And so if we have a a a setting here in which entrepreneurship is encouraged and and because then flourishes that's that will help our standing that will attract folks here uh, to do their thing so that's another big facet. and the last one is just of our of all of our efforts is uh is marketing and promotion which is exactly what i was doing in england last right. week. which is we we we, we got to spread the gospel of new bedford um everywhere where it matters oh to companies that might invest here and uh anybody else so they can see that this is this place is the center of activity so uh
1: we're speaking with uh new bedford mayor john mitchell um so as so we've got an out, uh, outgoing gubernatorial administration uh, and a new incoming gubernatorial administration. So the question I have is: How would you rate the Baker-Polito administration on uh, helping uh, New Bedford get uh, make offshore wind a reality, and how do you think that the he- Healy-Driscoll administration will be in that uh, com- um, helping along with that uh, that task?
2: Yeah, I, I think um, you know we've had. A good working relationship with the governor and the lieutenant governor um, in particular uh, when it has come to um, facilitating investment in port infrastructure, right? So, you know, we're – in fact, we're actively talking about that right now because there is money available and we've you know worked hard to – to not plan and to design our projects so that they can be you know shovel ready as the term is used so that when when the money's there we can raise our hands and say you know spend it here and right. so the lieutenant governor has been very good about that we've been aided by the funds that they've uh, invested in dredging as well so allow you know you can have the best pier but if the water's too shallow to get to it because the harbor hasn't been dredged so it's, it's pretty much useless right so that dredging has been um, a big part of what uh, the Baker folks have been able to to, to do for us about thirty-two million dollars in berth dredging that they've um, they've given us, and then there's investments in uh, a number of the, the port facilities that they've committed to Leonard's Wharf and the State Pier and a number of others. So that's all put us in a stronger uh, position. Um, you know, I think overall for 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 the Baker administration, less than. The Patrick administration, less so for the Patrick administration, it's been it's been about um, climate. Um, I think for the and promoting um, climate adaptation and, develop, and developing renewable sources of electricity for Massachusetts. I think there was a heavier emphasis in the Patrick administration on economic development and more particularly on competing against other states for business. Um, and so, um, you know, that's. That, that we are i will say i mean my uh, my mind is look as much as you know we want to promote renewable energy in new bedford uh, through offshore wind and by promoting offshore wind for us it's been primarily about economic development about creating jobs here for our residents that's and it's not to say that you know there's uh that client dealing with climate change is a distant second I, yeah it's it's really important but i but the efforts have been geared around economic development and more specifically against competing against everybody else so with the next administration what we hope is that there will be a greater emphasis on putting massachusetts and particularly new bedford in a greater position to succeed in that competition and so i've had many conversations with now uh governor-elect healy uh about that and so i think you know she's you know i've known her for a long time and 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 i think uh she i think it's fair to say is a a very competitive person so um i think she'll be inclined to support those efforts
1: she strikes me as a competitive person
2: she is a competitive person yeah yeah yeah
1: so uh we're gonna take a break we'll be right back So, um, we're speaking with uh, New Bedford Mayor John Mitchell. Uh, Chris will be back on Friday. So, Mayor Mitchell... um, I hope
2: he's listening. Yeah, Chris McCarthy, if you're out there...
1: He's not showing up in protest. He says, I will not appear with that man until he tells me whether or not he's running again in
2: 2023. I know it's coming. I know know the question's coming. So,
1: So, um, well, speaking of... Elections that you might comment
2: on—whole uh, <laughs> different category.
1: Yeah. So, uh, so Hugh Dunn, uh, Ward Three City Councilor, he he announced his resignation here on South Coast Tonight, actually, uh, two weeks ago, and or a week ago. I don't know. It all blends together. So uh, he there's an open seat. Um, there's a special election. Uh, what kind of candidate are you looking for uh, that you hope would run? Or not candidate you're looking for? What kind of city councilor do you think? are you looking forward to fill that seat
2: well uh what i would say uh, about Ward three is what i'd say about any ward and that is you know ward counselor has to be responsive right you, it's it can be a lot of work you get lots of calls from constituents and people want to know what's going on they want their their interests vindicated right they want sure you know, they want stuff done and so the Uh, it turns out that the ward counselors tend to have more interaction with the administration on constituent-related issues, right? Sure. You know, the the proverbial pothole type of issues, right? Yeah. So you need someone who's willing to put that that time in. Yeah. Um, But, of course, the council um, weighs in on – far more complex issues than just uh, potholes and constituent calls, right? So as as important as those are. So, you know, when it comes to municipal finance, when it comes to ensuring that the city is financially stable and growing and that um, we have policies in place that enable us to, you know, to deliver the services that our residents are entitled to, you need someone who does their homework, right? And that, uh, that means... That means you got to commit the time right reading the materials that the administration submits to the city council every two weeks or something new um, not um, and 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 when it comes time to make decisions about policy um, not necessarily gravitating in the direction of the person who's hollering the loudest, but just yeah. really sitting back and thinking things through getting uh, opinions from from both sides and then. You know, exercising you know your best judgment. That's and that, at the end of the day, that's 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 all you can do.
1: So, um, you you know, he was in the council for about five or so years. Uh, what was um, what was your evaluation of his tenure? How was it to work with Council John in those last five years?
2: Well, I think I think we um, um, I think we we're able to to move a lot of stuff along on on economic development, especially yeah. in, in Ward Three, especially on the waterfront. In fact, we just had a very very recent example uh, with the uh council's passage last week of the redevelopment plan for the hicks logan neighborhood i mean the hicks logan sure. neighborhood i mean it's not i hate to say this but it. i think most people would agree if not everybody is probably the most distressed neighborhood in the city it really yeah. isn't much of a neighborhood left in that um that that part of um that part of ward three yes so uh we have the city has long tried to figure out how to to rejigger that area, not rejigger, but but put it in a position where there's less blight and there are more opportunities for investment, for all sorts of things, housing, new businesses, and so forth. And um, you know, that it's been a long time in um, in, in coming um, to, to develop that plan to bring back the redevelopment, the city's redevelopment authority, so it can play a positive role in that that effort. Redevelopment authorities have the ability to assemble land and to work with developers in ways that the city can. So um Hugh was uh just unequivocally supportive of of that effort and 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 you know that's especially important because it's his ward but also you yeah. know there may be some people because of the history of the redevelopment authority in the city going back to the early 70s we might say redevelopment authority wait a minute they knocked a lot of stuff down and so it's it's not you know the redevelopment authority of yesteryear. Yeah. Right? I don't want everybody to know that, but you know, I think he was hugely supportive of that. And and, and similarly, uh, the, also in Ward 3, well, Ward 3 is a sort of a long ward. It's uh, not but, that
1: contiguous.
2: No, right? So it cuts through a lot of different types of neighborhoods and areas, yeah. but the golf course project was right. something I don't think could have gotten done without without his support. I mean, we needed the support of the board council and he understood that as a city that is largely built out New bedford does not have a lot of land to put into play for large commercial development right for factories and warehouses and so forth and that uh you know taking what might sound strike some people as a you know a pretty i don't say radical but a really sort of assertive step in in taking part of a golf course that we all love and turning it into um Commercial real estate sort of yeah. took took some took some backbone, and so I think that those are you know some of the things that I think that um, you know will go down as his uh, major contributions to the to the city.
1: So speaking of that golf course project, um, you, uh, uh, you I know you had to rework the RFPs um, because there was uh, some difficulties getting some bids. Uh, where are you at um, or where's the city at on on that uh, process
2: yeah we're sort of in the middle of a pause period, which I think will last i mean a matter of several weeks and okay, and so the reason for this is so you know I think everybody most folks would accept the proposition, which is also backed up by some market studies that we've done that that part of the whale part of uh, the whaling city municipal Golf course is very marketable for. Large commercial properties, kind of like the ones where we have in the New Bedford Business Park, right? Mm-hmm. That could employ an awful lot of folks. Um, you know, the question is like, how do you, how do you activate that site while re- retaining and pre- preserving the golf course, uh, the operation of the golf course? And so, what we had in the RFP was um, a provision that said, you know you can't develop the property until the golf course is all uh, rejiggered and but you got to pay us up front and so you know i think some of the developers may have you know had some cold feet about that especially given the timing right war in ukraine inflation all that stuff
1: sure so what we've done oh that's right i made a joke about that you said it was putin's fault
2: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. 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 That's yeah. Right. That's that. That's it. So what? So what we've done is it was, we've gone back. We've hired a consultant to go and talk to the to the prospective developers, the ones who show an interest in it. You know, how would you change the RFP? What what needs to change in the RFP in order for you, you know, to bid on it? And then you know in light of that feedback we'll take a look at the request for proposals the RFP and and uh, modify it accordingly and then we'll put it back out on the street and and, and I and I think we'll uh, I'm, I'm I'm pretty optimistic that we're going to get some uh, some good bids on it then so you know this will so this will play out over the course of the spring so like you know I I actually
1: was talking to Hugh about it he he he, he said that the, you could envision like even uh, a singular buyer of the whole property, like an Amazon or something, is that something in the realm of possibility? Something you're looking for?
2: Yeah, I. So I'm, I don't know if it will be in, in, in Amazon, but w- it would if some big, you know, pharmaceutical company, you know, wanted to buy right. the site and employ, you know, tons of people and and whatever. That would be great. Yeah, uh, you know that's a matter of timing. I mean, the other thing, we, there there are other options, right? We could yeah. just hold on to it and develop the entryway, and then just wait for the right company to come along, right? Yeah, I, I, that's not a crazy strategy. It may be one that I think we'd all lose patience with eventually if we didn't, sure. you know, hit, hit a home run. Yeah. So, but that's kind of the strategy that's kind of been in place in the business park. If you think of the business park as being, you know, it was built in. In the late fifties, right, and um, on a swamp before the Clean Water Act was passed, right. Yeah. So, if uh, if, uh, if that had not been so, that we'd never have been allowed to build on in that area. I just note that as a as a footnote. But it's been around since the sixties, since the late fifties, and it's just filling now, right? There's the last plot of land is under agreement now, and. Um, so it's taken a while to fill that out. Uh, so that could be a strategy that we that we um, uh, embrace here, which is that we'll sort of parcel this off, you know, twenty sure. acres, twenty acres, twenty acres, and so forth, as opposed to one hundred all at once. But you know, we'll we'll take a look at what these developers say to get some insight into it. The reality is this. Eastern Massachusetts, Eastern New England is a is a growing region, and there's, there is there uh, is and it's growing uh, in a number of sectors, including in manufacturing and distribution. Yeah. And there just isn't enough land to accommodate all of it, and so that's why, you know, this this land is, a, is is just going to increase in value.
1: It's going to be a discussion, I think, in the in the special election for for uh, for Hugh Seaton Ward Three. Yeah, so probably. Um, yeah. You know, there might be some people who may be less informed of thinking that they're going to, you know, I'm going to stop it or or whatever, and it's 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 happening. But I think what the people in Ward Three need to know. Is that their interests are being protected because there's concerns about the um, the amount of traffic on an already heavily trafficked area? So how is this project going to be yeah, completed I'm in a way that? I'm
2: glad I'm glad you raised that because it, you're right. It is going to be an issue, and it would be easy to say too much traffic, stop the thing, right? It's and <laughs> I, the the reality yeah. is like so. I'm old enough to remember. Rosie's. I don't know if you're old enough to remember, you know, Rosie's the restaurant at the bottom of the hill. So I don't think so. Betraying just how young you are, <laughs> Marcus. But so yeah. Rosie's for a while, my understanding is least like when I was in high was it was – and someone could call in and just correct me wrong, but I think for a while it was one of the, if it wasn't the highest grossing restaurant in the area, it was close. It was hugely popular. And uh, it's where that you know gas station and convenience store. In fact, the convenience store I think it's called Rosie's, and, and as a nod to the restaurant. But that was that was really busy. And then right next door, you had Cinema One Hundred and Forty. Right, those things aren't there anymore. Right, and so uh, it, it's actually a, a less trafficked road than it used to be. Like right? it's kind of overbuilt right now. So that's why cars drive so fast there. Right. So with more traffic, with more volume, it's likely the cars will have to slow down as they do on any road yeah and we will make sure that whatever development scenario plays out there that there will be um the the right kind of traffic mitigation right so light signals at the right spots you know we want to address how things are uh, uh we want to certainly want to make safer the intersection of rockdale avenue and, and hathaway road which is one of the tougher intersections to negotiate in the city and has been for a long time so yeah, you know, we will. We, we can work through this stuff. This stuff not solving those problems are not. Those are not novel problems to solve.
1: So we're speaking with uh, New Bedford Mayor John Mitchell. Uh, so uh, you know, I, I you talked a little bit about this today. We talked a little bit about this. The new um, you know the the election that happened here in Massachusetts. Uh, we have um, you know Paul Harrow is going to be the uh, new sheriff of Bristol County. Um, just broadly, uh, during your time as mayor, how much, uh, how much have, how much overlap has there been between your office and the Bristol County Sheriff's office? And if there is any, uh, what are you looking forward to, uh, you know, um, doing with, uh, Mayor Haro when he assumes office in January?
2: Well, I certainly want to congratulate him on, on his victory and it's, uh, yeah, that was a very hard-fought race, and yeah. uh, you guys had uh, both candidates on for a while, and uh, that was a an intense race that drew a lot of a, uh, attention from outside the region, mm-hmm. uh, of course. And so, you know, I and it, I'll I'll um, if there's any, any way I can help um, the sheriff elect transition into the job, I certainly would 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 be happy to to do that. Um, you know we interact with the sheriff's office in a few different ways um, I think you know it ranges from like the you know the, the uh, uh, road work that um, uh, work release inmates do sure. supervision right cleaning up stuff and painting poles and right all that which is which is you know uh, help very helpful to us uh, but more fundamentally you know we we have to work our police department has to work with the sheriff's office on a number of fronts, right? So we have the regional lockup, um, at, uh, at the Ash Street jail. Right. That's that, and managing that is uh, going to continue to be important. That's obviously an older, it's like very old facility yes. as we all know. Uh, so that's one way we, we work with, with them, uh, transports from there to the hospital to, to St. Luke's is another facet of that part of the work. Uh, uh, intelligence, uh, sharing is really important, right? So, okay. you know, we, it's important for us, for the police department to know what, what people we are interested in looking at who are behind bars are, are doing and saying who they're interacting with and whether there's any threat posed by virtue of what's going on behind bars, right? Um, and, and then the, the last thing is, uh, really just, uh, and again, this is something that the police are involved in, but also other city agencies and that's that's um, reentry right so we, we yeah. they're, they're, so if people who are going there are not you know they're going there for a max of two and a half years and so they get out and then they've got to get their lives back in order and yeah. so you know we have city uh, agencies that you know attempt to facilitate you know job um Placement and, and other things to you know, so that people get in in, in tr- drug treatment and so forth, so that you know they can get back on their feet and live gainful lives.
1: I don't want to get too into the weeds and correction policy, but uh, is the S Street Jail been an a- uh, an asset uh, for the New Bedford Police Department?
2: Well, uh, it, it's gotten I mean, as you probably know, it's gotten complicated with mm-hmm. um, um, a recent uh court decision concerning where uh pre-trial de- detainees can go um who's responsible and so forth and i'm not about to do that i don't know enough about the case to do it justice but you know that we do need to um to sort of figure out a long-term arrangement for for pre-trial detainees who are you know people who are arrested uh here in the city by our police department um the ash jail itself is an old facility you know it's not uh, I can't say, um, you know, with any level of, of confidence whether it can continue to operate in its current condition. You know, I, and my understanding is that the sheriff-elect has, has made some statements about uh, whether to keep it open. And, and his position, as I understand it, has been that he'd be inclined to close it. And I would just say, look, you know, our expectation is that, um, you know, if that's, that, that is, that's ultimately his call but there has to be a plan behind it cuz it's right smack dab in the middle of the city so that yeah. plan for you know what happens to everybody who's in there cuz you're not going to build another jail tomorrow and then what does it mean for the
0: neighborhood
1: yeah yeah i think he said he's open to closing it but i think he voiced the same concerns about that we'll take a break we'll be right back
0: 1420 WBSM can now be heard on 99.5 FM. WBSM isn't just a broadcast. It's also a podcast. Get all of our podcasts at WBSM.com, the WBSM app, or just search WBSM on your favorite podcast provider.
1: Hey, welcome back. We're here with uh, New Bedford Mayor John Mitchell. Um, So actually I wanted to bring this up. Uh, there was. We had the election here. You said the turnout was was uh, uh, I guess suboptimal, thirty um, something percent,
2: thirty two ish. Yeah.
1: Do you know if that's an improvement on the last governor's election? I mean, the sheriff. I, I think the sheriff's election might have might have driven some turnout turnout too.
2: But it was a little bit better. It wasn't. You know, it, it's not eye popping. you know, It yeah. wasn't like I didn't go back and check. But it doesn't feel like it was that that much more. It, it can go back and, and look, but I, I don't think so. Yeah,
1: no, I I, I can't imagine it, it was, and uh, it was abysmal in the preliminary. Right, it was like thirteen percent, I think. Thirteen point yeah.
2: five, yes, yeah, very low, very low. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's just, we just fifth got, lowest in
1: have a, the state, I think it was. But um, fifth
2: lowest in the state is right.
1: Yeah, but. Um, but, you know, we've talked about the importance of, of getting a, a vote share here that will make uh, elected officials need to respect the region, right? And um, there was some issues that happened. on. Now, you weren't here, but there were some issues that happened on Election Day. Uh, there was uh, some voting machines that were broken. Um, last time there was, like, numbers that were late to report because uh, of a, uh, I don't know, some sort of error uh, that happened with the elections office, um, you know, we had people call in during elections day and say, Hey, there's ballots on the, you know, people are asking us to leave ballots on the chair and, and, and on the floor and all of that. Um, so is there, is there an issue with the administration of the elections office right now? Is there something that needs to be done, uh, about it? Um, yeah.
2: Yeah. So yeah, even though I had voted early and wasn't in town for the election, we certainly had done some. Uh, planning beforehand and uh, because there are a number of city agencies involved in every election you know police department emergency management and so forth schools library so um, and so and, and and certainly I was staying on top of what was going on here uh, that week Tuesday and Wednesday um, and you know I think there are a couple of things that people need to understand, so first off this is the most important thing to, to say um, every vote in the city was counted sure Every vote was counted, right? Yeah. So, you know, we've heard, you know, things um, – and, and I've, I've seen noth- nothing to give me any pause that that wasn't the, the case. Um, but, you know, we, we – there's a lot of new stuff now with elections, right? So there's the, the whole arrangement with early voting and um, and how it gets reported is very prescribed by state law. There are certain – uh, depending on when when a ballot comes in it gets counted at a certain time and if it gets comes in at a different time it gets counted at a different time and so forth and so what it has done is generate a uh, a ton of work for every election office around the state but especially in the cities right even despite the relatively lower turnout that yeah. we alas are experiencing and so um so I think so there's 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 that um i think the and and we also live in a time when the administration of elections at, uh, across the country um are uh, a charged topic right people are kind of on edge right we see you know on the you know, as we saw in i think it was arizona or other places there were, you know men who had you know um, automatic rifles or semi-automatic rifles, yes. right, right near the, the voting locations. Right, yeah. didn't have anything like that here. But it's it's it is a matter of real concern. So, in in under those circumstances, you start to hear things that may not be totally grounded in truth. So, there mm-hmm. were no broken machines. There were there were six machines that were jammed and were okay. unjammed. Right, big difference. Right, sure. and again, all the votes got counted, and so. Um, and the other thing is that that's actually a fairly, um, ordinary event. Uh, they get jammed. And sometimes, especially when you have a longer ballot with some of these machines, as we did this year with lots of folks on, or get or on the ballot, uh, making it actually physically longer, you, um, with certain machines that you, things get stuck. That's the explanation I got. But yeah. bottom line for me is did all the votes get counted. Yes. Yeah. Right. And then. Show me, yes, okay. They all got counted. The, the one thing that I'd say, I think we do need to improve on, and we're working on. So two things, I'd say. I, I think, I, I really think there needs to be more resources in the elections office. Right? It's just it is the counting of early votes is overwhelming in a city of a hundred thousand. We sure. have three permanent employees in the elections office. Yeah. three full time employees. That's it. Right. Right um that's not enough right so we've got to figure that out so things are turned around faster so people in your position can hear about results earlier right which is what you want exactly the other thing is um you know there needs to be some working out of the reporting out of the results right so we had a situation um last week where you know the vote totals uh, were greater than the, the sum of all I, the six wars. I right? called
1: to Holly about that uh, yeah. yesterday or two days ago, and I was like, "What's what's going on here?
2: <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is not Me or is it not adding? Yeah, up? Yeah. yeah. No, it was, yeah. it was. It was. It was striking. And the reason is, uh, and this is just sort of the automation of of some of the reporting. It's the what what wasn't reported. What were the early votes that fall into a category called advanced deposits, right? Yes. So, which is yeah. like the first set of of um, of vote early votes that come in that are counted ahead of time, and that right. column wasn't reported, so that there was a gap. So, if you count up, if you added up in in the Bedford's case, all the votes cast and uh, listed for wards one through six, it yeah. didn't add up to the total at the end because there was this. Other category that was missing which is the early you know this one batch of the yes. earliest of the early votes so that has to get fixed right? people you look at that and you're like what what's going on here right, right. so that's a that's a normal reaction um and you know you, you weren't the only member of the media who who's who's good at, at arithmetic right others <laughs> called us yeah. called us up and said Hey, wait a minute! So yes. I think that's that's got to get that's got to get fixed. There's no, you know, look. Uh, so I,
1: I made a joke that like, uh, yeah, Bob Kazar is still the rep. Actually, <laughs> we've been doing it wrong all these years. <laughs> all right, Mayor Mitchell, um, I've got to take this break, and then that's going to finish out the hour. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks uh, for having me. Absolutely. So uh, I'm going to take a break, and I'll be back.
0: The WBSM app is. Every- hey
1: welcome back that was New Bedford mayor John Mitchell always appreciate when he comes on uh, always a good discussion so um, we're going to we're going to finish out this hour and then for the rest of the hour I'll take your calls take your app chats <clears throat> here at um, uh, on South coast tonight you know we've had a, a lot happen in the last few days obviously Pre- you know the state elections are over apparently the presidential elections are all on their way and uh Word three elections are are well on their way uh, as well, so there's a lot to talk about and hoping to talk with you about it at five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. That's how you can get. Um, that's how you can get on the program this evening. So, uh, yeah. That's pretty much it for the seven o'clock hour. Again, I'll see you guys in the uh, eight o'clock hour. Um, We can talk about the, you know, Trump's deck. You know, we can still talk about Trump, whether or not he's going to win, whether or not you support him. I've heard, I heard some people. Today, uh, when I had the opportunity to listen, uh, we're we're still supportive of Trump. I'm reading some app chat messages that say people are supportive of Trump uh, still. Uh, some callers called in last night to tell us uh, that they still support uh, the President Trump. In of other callers who are Republicans say they support DeSantis, uh, or DeSantis, or somebody else. So definitely interested in your opinions on that. Um, but what we'll, what we'll do is we'll take a we'll uh, we'll take a news break here. When we get back, we'll take your calls at 508-996-0500.